BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time to Ben Jarofsky show as I speak. It's Friday, December 3rd, 2021. Here's a headline to give you an idea of what's going on in the world. A headline from today's New York Times. Texas law alters abortion battle across country, moves out confusion. Clinics struggle for legal strategy as near ban takes effect. They've effectively outlawed abortion in uh, the state of Texas. And uh, as I often do, I turn for uh, solace from D.L. Hewley, the brilliant comedian whose Instagram page is must read in my humble opinion. And he wrote this, you won't force a 15 year old to wear a mask uh, at school, but you'll force her to be a mother. F you, Texas. And then he writes, hope it is clear now why it's so important to vote in every election from local to federal level. D.L. Hewley, you speak for me. Yes, indeed. All right. Without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. Take it away, distinguished guest. This is Troy LaRavier, president of the Chicago Principals and Administrators Association. Good to be here. Yes, it's been too that, long. That good enough? <laughs> yes, that's very good. Uh, I thought you might do a little rap thing, but no. Um, and... Uh, so it's been too long, Troy, since you've been on. Troy's a regular on the show. Uh, he's been a regular on uh, every show I've ever had, even ones I've been fired from. Uh, he's been a regular in the column I write for the Chicago Reader. And I think he's one of the smartest guys in the city of Chicago on any issue, uh, but particularly education. So I really want to talk to you about what's going down uh, in the schools. But I just, I, be I began with that D.L. Hewley uh, quote. You must love D.L. Hewley as much as I do, right? He's your gen more of your generation than mine. Uh, am I am I right in assuming that? Oh yeah, he's definitely my generation. Yeah, definitely. I've been watching D.L. since uh, Def Comedy Jam. Yeah, well, I, back like twenty five years ago. He's gotten really political over the last couple of years, and I urge everybody to follow his Instagram page because he's always on top of things. All right, uh, Troy. I mentioned that um, I'm just going to start with this one. You get a kick out of this. I. Uh, a, a young activist in LA reached out to me for information about the uh, school-based budgeting or student-based budgeting in Chicago, which is a really arcane uh, issue from the past. 
And uh, I was surprised that he knew that I kn- would know anything about it because apparently in LA, they're going to, they're studying the Chicago model and they want to implement it. And he goes, yeah, and he, they sent me a clip of you, Troy LaRavie and me, Ben Jarofsky, five years ago on the Kenny Davis show. I don't know if you remember this, uh, Ken Davis, it was public access show. And, uh, oh, wow. I know <laughs> it's a trip. Yeah. And you're all I dressed remember. up. Wow. They really yeah. dug one up. They dug one up and you're dressed up because yeah, I was all suited up. I yeah. <laughs> and I'm a typical me, you know, my, uh, but it was quite a riff. Uh, it's coming from work. Yes. Well, it was actually probably, it was, uh, I remember it, the tapings were in the morning. So you were on your way, you, you stopped by the studio on your way to work and, uh, but so before we get into the details of how Chicago schools been opened, the bus situation in Chicago, your thoughts on uh, just the uh, anti-vaxxer movement, which is really, I'm struggling with that one, Troy. Uh, I just have to ask you about this uh, issue on behalf of this young man in uh, Los Angeles who wants to know what advice would you give people in Los Angeles who are... Uh, the school board members who are thinking of implementing uh, a plan uh, similar to Chicago. I try not to laugh when I say this. Anybody who would follow the practices of Chicago right there and then, I have issues. Uh, But what would your uh, suggestion be to uh, principals in Los Angeles who are being confronted with this new model of financing education? Whoever is bringing it up for discussion, whatever elected official is doing it, they need to take a long look at that elected official and do everything they can to vote him or her out of office. Um, SBB is not student-based budgeting. Uh, We call it sacrifice-based budgeting, sabotage-based budgeting. It is anything but student-based. It's a misnomer. Um, The idea is that you get a certain amount of money per student, and supposedly that makes it student-based. But you always, budgeting has always been student-based. In the past, what we got was a certain amount of staff per student and a certain amount of dollars because that's what the budget is, staff. Like That's what servicing and educating kids is about, having enough certified, qualified education professionals there to serve students. And that's what most of the budget is spent for. And so if you're a school, you need teachers. And sometimes you need teachers who are are veterans, and sometimes you get new teachers. There needs to be a nice mix of both. Uh, But it's not guaranteed, but you're more likely to get uh, better instruction from a veteran. You know, there's certainly exceptions, but, you know, you want to go with the odds, not the exceptions. (laughs) You want to go with the rule, not the exception. And so you're certainly more likely to get uh, better instruction from a veteran teacher. Um, But veteran teachers make more money. And so CPS used to understand this, and they did not want to give principals an incentive to not get a veteran teacher. So you got a certain amount of staff. And so if you needed 10 staff, you could get eight veterans. And a couple of new folk or a couple of new folk, a couple of middle tenure folks and a couple of and a few veterans. What they did with student based with uh, SBB sacrifice based budgeting is to give them just a certain dollar amount per pupil. And then you could use that dollar amount to get 
whatever staff you could afford. And typically that meant you couldn't afford enough staff or to get enough staff, you couldn't hire a veteran so that you can make that money stretch and get some new and experienced teachers. Um, and so you had to make a sacrifice. You had to sacrifice good instruction just to feel, that's why we call it sacrifice-based budgeting. You had to sacrifice good, good instruction just so that you can get enough bodies in the classroom to cover the vacancies that are there or the, the classrooms that are there. Um, you know, it sabotages your instructional goals because most of your instructional goals involve providing the best instruction possible for the kids. And typically, again, uh, the rule is that you'll get that more likely, more than likely from a veteran teacher. Uh, but SBB sabotaged that. It is sacrifice-based budgeting. It is sabotage-based budgeting. And in fact, the reason... One of the reasons, if you remember, Ben, the first time I ever came out publicly, it was to speak out against the budget cuts of 2013. And those budget cuts were in what happened the year they unveiled SBB, sacrifice-based budget. Uh, I had been a quiet, low-key principal for two years, minding my own business. But when that went down and I heard the mayor trying to sell it and we all looked at it and we knew what it was going to do, but no, people were too scared to say what they knew was going to happen. That They were going to lose hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions across the district. They were going to lose staff. They were going to have to basically practice age discrimination by not either not interviewing veteran teachers or not picking veteran teachers because they're veterans, not because they weren't good. Sometimes they were the best people they interviewed, but you just couldn't hire them and not get overcrowded classroom. Like something had to be sacrificed or sabotaged. And so knowing that, you know, that was when I had my first, um, the first time when I spoke out at City Hall against those budget cuts and began to question um, the mayor. Um, and that was the first, of course, of many to follow. But it yeah. all started with SBB. Absolutely. Bring back a lot of memories. Uh, yes, indeed. So folks in L.A., let me just put it to you this way, in, in a way that I think everybody in Los Angeles uh, could understand if you're on the school board, if you're a principal, if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're a student. Imagine, imagine if the NBA, the National Basketball Association, changed its salary scheme so that the Los Angeles Lakers were forced to fire LeBron James because he was too expensive and replace him with a rookie out of the G League. Good luck winning a world championship with that, Los Angeles Lakers. I think everybody in L.A. can understand that one, Troy. Uh, and that, to me, is the perfect analogy. Uh, yes, and also one last, this is me, not Troy. If a program is coming out of Chicago and they're hyping it, don't believe them. I've been following education in the city of Chicago I want to say since before Troy LaRavier was born, but I'm not sure even I'm that old, but for a long time, and it is nothing but a hype machine in the city of Chicago, and generally programs out of the city of Chicago, as, as Troy just said, are intended to give more discretionary spending power to the mayor, so in this case, he could fire veteran teachers or push them out the door uh, and then use the extra money saved in salaries to what? Give contracts to his cronies, et cetera, and so forth. That's my take on things, Troy LaRivier. Did I say anything and that you disagree with? I have with? to say again, though, don't just oppose SBB. 
you have to come out and question the integrity of the people who are pushing it. Don't just depose it. Question their integrity. Question their commitment to children. Question their level of... I mean, you, if you're proposing SBB, you're at least borderline corrupt, if not all the way corrupted. And you have to attack these officials, attack their commitment to your young people, attack their integrity, because no one who wants to see kids get the resources they need, which nine times out of 10 is proper staff, would introduce that. Now, I say that with only one caveat. Mm-hmm. Typically, where it's introduced, it's underfunded. And so the per pupil amount is typically too small to get you the staff you need. Every now and then you run into a school district that'll use a system like this where you just get money for staff, but they give a huge amount, right? And you get and because they give a huge amount, you actually have some choices because they tried to when they released SBB, they tried to frame it as like, well, now you'll have choices. Well, no, you don't. Not if you don't get, not if you're only getting $6,000 per student. Your only choice is who, what are you going to do without? What are you going to sacrifice? Right? But if we were to get $12,000, $16,000 per student, you know, then all of a sudden SBB would then, a, student, a, a program like that would make, but that's never, that's not how, so that's not how it's typically rolled out. And and I would ask them because what they didn't commit to a per student amount here in Chicago. Because they knew what they were going. They were just like, we're just going to have this with this vague, you know, you'll get money per student. And then when the money finally came, it was like, what? This is all we're getting? And so I would be interested to see if they've committed to a certain uh, amount per student. And if they haven't, attack it vigorously and attack the people who proposed it with everything you got. Absolutely. That's a good point. If you're going to increase the amount uh, that each kid gets, the allowance for each child, well, okay, let's talk. But if you're just going to keep it the same, it's just a way, uh, as Troy said, it's a backdoor budget cut from uh, money that would go to the classroom where you want to be spent. Absolutely. That's a good point. All right, let's move on to the city of Chicago uh, and its endeavors as it opened uh, the schools. So this one is Monday. Uh, and uh, we had uh, Stacey Davis-Gates was on the show a couple days ago from the Chicago Teachers Union giving her perspective on it. Uh, So, Troy, what's your perspective on how it went down uh, this week with the opening of schools in Chicago? What is my perspective? Well, I surveyed our members just a couple days ago. I haven't gone through the entire survey because my perspective uh, only matters as much as it is in tune with the people who are actually in the building. Uh, and the things that I am hearing, number one, once again, CPS planned, and I say planned in quotes, all summer and did not involve the people who had to implement the plan in the planning. <laughs> it's a recipe for disaster. If principals are the people who are supposed to be, not even supposed to be, principals, whatever you come up with, principals have to implement And if they have to implement it, they're the ones who are on the ground with kids and the teachers and the parents. Like They need to be at the table when you're developing these plans because they can see holes in these plans. They can see negative consequences of those plans that you can't because you're not in the building, these central office folks. Um, It's like they want to fail. I don't know if it's hubris, if it's ego, if there's a hidden agenda. 
but not having the people who have to implement the plans at the table says something seedy is going on behind the scenes. Something that um, when you have that kind of lack of transparency, number one, and then not just having the experts at the table, it's just ridiculous. So as a result of that, you get things like the fact that um, they had construction in the buildings over the summer that wasn't finished when the kids got this. So you have kids actually walking into the schools where all the toilets are pulled out and lined up in the hallways. Like You actually have that. I had principals send me a pictures of a hallway lined with toilets from a bathroom where they didn't finish construction on. In fact, when I did my survey, facilities, either facilities and cleanliness or facilities in relationship to repairs or instruction was the second most mentioned issue when I asked, uh, this is the question I asked, uh, how is CPS helping your ability to serve your school community? And how is CPS hurting your ability to serve your school community? Uh, and facilities and, and its facilities, either the cleanliness of them or jacked up repairs or unfinished repairs and construction were number one on the list. So again, if principals at the table when they're making this decision midsummer to start all this construction, they're like, hold up. <laughs> Wait, you do know school starts in September, right? You do know, and oh, wait a minute, and then you make a decision to start school early, a week early, after you've made this decision to start all this construction? Hold up, <laughs> hold up. Maybe you need to push it back to before Labor Day, after Labor Day, like normal, because you have all of this other stuff, plus you're launching several new initiatives, right, that principals have to wrap their heads around while you're trying to open school. It's hard enough just to try and wrap your head around opening school during a pandemic. And on top of that, you're going to throw all these different new initiatives and district technology interfaces while you're just trying to open school during a pandemic. You don't throw all of that at people. You're asking people to fail. You're setting them up, you're setting them up to fail. Uh, I can say a little bit. I, again, I haven't analyzed the entire survey. I'm just getting results in right now. Of course, transportation has been a huge issue. The fact that transportation is the third most mentioned issue says that it's probably the worst issue because most schools don't deal with buses, busing. The, despite the fact that most schools don't have to deal with busing, it is still, all schools have to deal with facilities, right, and cleanliness, all right? And so that's the number one issue right now, actually the number two issue. Um but all schools don't have to deal with transportation. And yet, the, even though all schools don't have to, our kids aren't bus, most schools are just neighborhood schools, it is the third most mentioned issue in our survey in relationship to just the madness of what has transpired with busing situation uh, in the last week. Uh, and so that's a big, and again, it's just a lack of planning and forethought. Food service. I've got principals telling me that as a result of some kind of labor issue with the food service, they're going to run out of food. And CPS doesn't seem to have a plan for when um, they get down to, you know, 10 more meals and there are 50 more students to serve. Right. I've had principals tell me one told me uh, just this week she, they came down to they had two meals left. You know, it went barely. And so it was like and this is the beginning of the school year. And this labor issue has just started. And so they reached out to CPS. One reached out to CPS and said, uh, you know, 
hey, this is an issue. What's your communication plan to parents when this stuff all goes down? And they were like, there is no communication plan. There'll be nothing sent to parents because we don't expect there to be an issue. And he's like, uh, wait, I'm the principal in the school and I'm telling you there's an issue. And these pencil pushers down in central office just don't seem to get it. So food service has been an issue. Class size. You know, people are basically saying these spacing issues. And the, and the spacing issue, the way they frame it is so deceitful, like three feet spacing where possible. It's not possible damn near anywhere. Right? It's not. But principals are telling me it's, it's just not possible. So you can just you could. So. Parents ought to understand that there are no spacing guidelines because it is not possible. Um, and I could keep going, but I'm going to go ahead and let you. I've, I've, I've mentioned All quite right. a few issues. Uh, and, no, that spacing issue, uh, the way uh, Stacy said it was uh, spacing is aspirational. I love when she used the aspirate. Now, they're aspiring for it. It's a goal that they may never reach, but that's their goal. Uh, I want to go back. It's not even aspirational. <laughs> it's not even they don't aspire for anything we might aspire yeah. for it's a messaging tactic for them that's it if they aspired for it they'd be doing something to make it happen other than running their mouth and saying it's a goal they'd be behind the scenes doing something to try and make it happen what do you mean by They're a message what do you mean by a messaging tactic it's a tactic to say we're trying to do something right uh three feet where possible gives people the sense that oh It'll be three feet, like that, yeah. like, like three feet where possible assumes it's possible, <laughs> right? It's a it's a misinformation device, yeah. yeah, right? It's a misinformation device to give people the sense that oh, they set a standard, right? Without realizing that for the most part they set an impossible standard, and this thing's not going to happen. And if you don't think enough about it, you're like oh, three feet where possible, oh great, you know, it's a messaging tactic in order to sort of. Like give people the false a false sense of security mm-hmm. that something's being done about spacing when nothing's being done about spacing. It's just a me- like th- th- these people are all about messaging, Ben. You've been covering these people for years. You know the mayor's office. I mean that's what CPS is. The mayor's office. They're all about messaging. <laughs> no, and and absolutely. And to that point, I'm going to tie the first issue we discussed, which are was uh, about. Uh, the school-based funding or student-based funding uh, and the messaging there. The messaging general, and I hope you're listening, L.A., because they're probably uh, messaging this to you. The messaging there is that this empowers principals. I'm not making this up, Troy. This is what they say. This empowers. We want to. Yeah, we want to empower principals by giving them more control over a budget. Uh, so if that means they want to uh, get rid of uh, old Betsy, who's been around for 50 years, and they want to hire new Betsy, then they could do that. Okay, uh, that we're empowering principals. When in reality. They're depowering principals because what if the principal wants to keep the older teacher? The principal can't. So in the while telling you that they want to empower principals, they're uh, reducing their power. And similarly, when it comes to planning for the start of the school, if they want to empower principals, Troy, they would have brought the principals in, let's say, I don't know, in June to say, all right, how do we do this? Let's figure this out working together. You know, I always say this, like the NBA does with its players, its union it, that it has to deal with. But they don't treat the employees at the public schools of Chicago, Troy, in my humble opinion, with the same amount of respect 
that the NBA treats its players. If they say they want to empower you and you're not at the table <laughs> helping to design this plan that's supposedly empowering you, like your power is being taken. You know, 999 times out of 1,000, your power is being taken from you. You are being duped. Nobody can empower you while you're not at the table. It's just not going to happen. Um, let me read you a few comments from the survey. Actually, I have a few up. Go ahead. My building's not ready or clean in time for teachers to prepare rooms and the school for students when staff is hired. Um, the lack of leadership in CPS is killing me right now. Constantly changing policies around COVID-19 and the updates are embedded in increasingly longer and more confusing handbooks. Um, the fact that the principal update email came out at 5 p.m. on Friday before teachers returned is so tone deaf. Um, central office didn't do robocalls in order to ensure kids came back to school. Uh, here's another. The principal guidelines are long and confusing. I can't get things fixed in my building in a timely manner. It can take years to have something fixed. What are we going to do when staff has to quarantine because their own child in the CPS school has to quarantine? We need clarity, and our parents do too. Parents don't understand why there's not a remote option when students are out um, and not in the official CPS quarantine. Here's another, the last one I'll read. I mean, this is quite a few. Guidance is not clear, and information communicated late uh, around COVID safety is communicated late around COVID safety. Our engineering custodial situation is really bad. The bad there's bad morale with the engineers and custodians. Uh, and work is not getting done. The facility isn't clean properly. There's no AC in various rooms. The initial skyline training, that's one of those programs that they decided to uh, add on top of all the things you have to get used to and figure out. This is, that's, that's, this is one of the things I was talking about earlier, Ben. The initial skyline training was not great according to teachers and from my own experience. Um, and it just goes on and on and on and on. Like, it's, there are 50 different departments in CPS that interface with principals and are telling principals to do things. 50. I'm not, it's not, that's not hyperbole. Over 50. And they don't talk to each other. Sometimes the people over them don't know what they're doing, so they give principals things to do, basically to do their jobs. They're supposed to be there to help principals, but they use principals to help them. Um, and they're not talking to one another. And they just bombard schools with compliance mandates, things to do that take principals away from their core function of helping teachers to teach students, improving instruction, improving climate and culture, and building operations. That's what principals should be focusing on, but they're busily juggling communications, uh, unclear communications, contradictory communications, uh, in many cases, from 50 different CPS departments, half of whom uh, ran by people whose competence is questionable, and that's putting it as nicely as I could. It's a mess. And then students and families then suffer from that. Yeah. Uh, and and you're, the first point you made, which is a really good one, I'm, uh, <laughs> why they felt compelled to move the starting time of the starting date up before Labor Day. I'll never understand this impulse I, and I, to start schools earlier. Like something's more valuable. That's messaging too, Ben. Yeah. That's messaging. Yeah. Right? That's all about message. That's to say, wow, our kids had all this learning loss. And so we're going to start school early, a week early. 
you know, not prepare the schools to actually do it with any kind of success, not ensure they're properly staffed, not ensure that the facilities are straight when they get there. You know, we're going to get out there and get this message out that I, Mayor so-and-so, <laughs> yes. care so much that I'm going to start school early. All right? It's just all about messaging, but it's thoughtless in terms of actually thinking through the, the the background, the implications and logistics of actually making something like that work. It's like they didn't think about it. It's a good message. Let's put it out there. Principles, you know, we ain't got a plan for you, but figure it out. <laughs> Mayor Lightfoot wants to be able to say when she's running for re-election that she started school a week early. That's it. That is it. So true. And then she's going to ring that bell. All these principles. The new thing, it's not that new. Mayor Ron would do it. Oh, I'm ringing the bell. Man, leave the bell alone on the opening day of school, okay? I'll ring the bell. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know what's funny? My first day at uh, Blaine, um, the local school council wanted me to ring that bell. <laughs> but at least I was the principal. <laughs> well, okay. Somehow the bell yeah. ringing thing is a tradition in many of these schools. There's a lot of things that are traditions in the city of Chicago, like corruption, which I think we might want to reconsider. All right. I'm not saying ringing the bell is as bad as corruption. I'm just saying it's a messaging. All right. Uh, You mentioned transportation. The the, the bell is often rung by a corrupt official. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. That's that's the connection. Uh, There you go. So you mentioned transportation, and uh, yeah, the papers are filled with all kinds of stories about transportation is essentially uh, busing uh, and uh, delivering right. kids uh, for, to schools outside of their neighborhood, outside of walking distance for a host of reasons. So what are some of the, the reasons that you've heard uh, that the Board of Ed or the, the powers that be at the Chicago Public Schools have given for why they've stumbled out of the starting gates uh, with the transportation? Uh, I'm not sh- to be honest, I'm not sure. Uh, what I've I'm hesitant to talk about what I've heard because you know me, Ben. I like to verify stuff, collect my evidence, and I haven't collected anything on this. So I'll I'll I'll, I'll, I'll preface this by saying, you know, I don't know how reliable this information is. Um, you know, what I've heard is in relationship to a bus drivers being required to have the COVID vaccine, and many of them balking at that. Uh, and as a result, one is there's, there's a shortage of drivers, right? And that one of the reasons that there's a shortage of drivers and buses is in relationship to COVID vaccine requirements, and a lot of bus drivers are balking at that. Um, and the shortage is somehow related. That's the one thing I've heard. I have no idea if that's responsible for 10% of what's going on, 50%, 100%, or 0%. Um, but that's the one thing I've heard about all of this. You know, and just in relationship to that, you know, I don't know if vaccinations were part of what you wanted to talk about today. But, you know, you got folks that, that there's some, you heard about some pill that they're supposed to be giving the animals that. Yeah, no, the, saying, oh, the know, deworming you know, pill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For horses. You, know, yes. you got people taking this freaking pill to protect themselves from COVID, but they won't take a vaccine? What the fuck is wrong <laughs> with people, man? Like, uh, <laughs> it's one thing if you just don't believe in the virus and I don't, but if you take the pill, obviously you believe COVID exists and it can harm you, right? And so you believe COVID exists and it can harm you. And so you have two options. I can take this deworming thing 
that the FDA hasn't approved for human consumption that no doctor, credible doctor said, just got a lot of rumors about it, or I can take this vaccine that has been approved. But it's crazy because one of the reasons that people saying they don't want to take the vaccine is because they said FDA hadn't approved it. They yes. hadn't approved this fucking horse pill either. No. <laughs> but you're taking that. It's just like it. the things that people are saying have nothing to do with what they actually mean and they actually feel. Like, it's all just related to their politics. I've taken the position. I'm a part of the community that believes this. And I'm going to stick with that community. And I'll say anything, no matter how contradictory and ridiculous and asinine and ask back what it is, so that I can remain true to the community that I've aligned myself with. Fucking well, kills me, man. It, I'm with you 100%. We'll go down that path. I just want to finish the busing thing, and then we'll go down it. Because I this is this is one of my obsessions uh, at the moment, the, the inconsistent. The inconsistent principles advocated by MAGA uh, over the last two years and that the issue now of liberty, which is one of my, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. But before I get to the issue of liberty, the concept of liberty, let me just say this. I've been reading the same articles in the newspaper uh, that I think you read as well. And I've been reading this, the, this, they're putting out this message that bus driver, they're kind of blaming on the bus drivers. They don't, the reason we have a shortage of bus drivers is we want them to get vaccinated. They don't want to get vaccinated, so they can't work for us. Now, what, did they not know in June that COVID existed? Did they not know in June that bus drivers would need to be vaccinated? Did they not know in June that uh, I, I don't know, 50% of bus drivers have not been vaccinated? What? This is your point, Troy. Why do they wait till August? This is the city of Chicago. LA, if you're listening, whatever what I said, if it comes out of Chicago, don't believe it because it's all hype and PR and BS. And by the way, LA, while I'm on this tangent, they're ripping you in Chicago. They're ripping your elected school board. They say, we don't want an elected school board like you have in L.A. I'm just saying, L.A., don't believe the stuff in Chicago. And just so you know, they're not really your friends. But, Troy, you get my point? If, like, they thought that there was going to be a problem with bus drivers not being vaccinated, why didn't they deal with that in June? I mean, this is, my understanding, that's the city hall decision. The mandate was city hall. Like, they're not people who plan for success. There are people who plan around messaging. And messaging is often day-to-day, right? Planning for success is a long-term concept. You think about the future. You think about where you want to be in six months, what's six months, a year, three months, what the potential consequences and options are. And then you step-by-step, you know, make arrangements for the potential outcomes. That's not what this, that's not what they do. I mean, again, just the fact that they don't have principles at the table when they make it air policy tells me everything that I need to know. And and, and I just want to take you back. You're right. You're absolutely right. It's a day-by-day messaging situation, and it didn't start with Lori Lightfoot. Rahm Emanuel and Mayor Dale were all about the same thing. They were basically opening the mouths of Chicagoans and feeding the BS to them so they would swallow it. And the message they were putting out in June, Troy, was, we beat COVID. Go to Lollapalooza. 
That was the message they were putting out in June, if you recall. And that's a different message oh, than recall. we're at right now. Go ahead. What'd you say? I said, oh, I recall uh, about uh, 200 feet in this direction in my apartment is where Lollapalooza happened. <laughs> like, I'm on Michigan Ave right now. I walk out this door and I saw the madness. And that's about as close as I got to it. And, and I remember. Yeah. And then the messaging around that and then the schools are just so contradictory. You know, even, you know, when they were trying to reopen schools back in the day, I remember uh, Allison already came out and said it was this actually the exact opposite. Yeah. Already came out and said that the health um, commissioner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That we she didn't want people to go out unless it was absolutely necessary. They had like a, it was, it was, I don't remember what they called it, but like a travel advisory. Uh, yeah. Um, not a travel advisor, but basically a stay home, a stay home yeah. advisor. That's what they called it. And two days later, they came out saying they're opening schools up. Right. And so in the spring, it was it's not safe to be out at anywhere. But let's open the schools up. Um, now it's went from it is safe to be out. Right. It is safe. To we're gonna open the schools up, but it's not safe enough to not have a vaccine mandate. Right? Like, and this all seems so last minute, so contradictory, because it's, it's like there's no forethought. It's just what sounds good today. And okay, absolutely correct. And, tomorrow. and let's say that. And and uh, this is a favorite theme of the show uh, on a day-to-day basis, the uh, mixed messaging coming out about COVID, not just uh, throughout the country, but in the city of Chicago. And uh, it's been been mixed from the get-go. And this summer is just a dizzying example of that, uh, Troy. And it's inexcusable, in my humble opinion, why if I, just reading the newspapers, could see stories in June about Delta, the the leading doctors and chief science brains at City Hall could not read those same articles and start thinking, what are we going to do to make sure bus drivers are vaccinated? The vaccine existed in June, Troy. I had the vaccine in April. If some pod show host in his attic can get the vaccine, then a bus driver can get the vaccine. And it's just, and now we now and now here we are uh, in September, and there's not enough buses to go around, and parents are screwed. And I know some parents who are screwed, and their schedules have been thrown up in arms uh, by this. Uh, I'm one of them. Yes, <laughs> I'm one of those parents. <laughs> yes, I started thinking of. Uh, I mean, luckily I have some means about me. Yeah. So until they get this bus situation straight. My son's mom drops him off. He just started high school. My son's mm-hmm. mom drops him off in the morning. And then I stop what I'm doing right around 2 o'clock so I can head to his school and pick him up in the afternoon until they get this damn busing situation. Yeah. And, and I can assure you're uh, not Sometimes alone. I'm driving there in the morning and the afternoon yeah. when she has to get to work. Um, and unfortunately, I have the means. I can't imagine what people are going through who don't have the means. Yeah. Absolutely. Um all right, uh, let's talk about liberty. And you went on a, uh, a, a tangent, a, a beautiful riff about the insanity and in- inconsistency of the anti-vaxxers uh, who won't take the vaccine because it wasn't approved by the FDA, but are taking uh, 
uh, horse pills, uh, which <laughs> will never be approved by the FDA. They'll take anything. Uh, and I've come uh, to the conclusion, having studied this, studied their rhetoric, I've actually listened to, to what they have to say, uh, Troy. And uh, so there's been this whole movement emerging. Uh, and it's being in Chicago, sort of the local leader is the head of the fraternal order police. Uh, and, um, there is a firefighter in LA who's put out a, um, a YouTube video where he denounces the tyranny and the overreach of the government and says that that's a step too far. Uh, and he will never allow them to, uh, put a needle in his arm. This is one step too far. And, Troy, I, I, I'm sitting here. I have grown up with so much government overreach, including on a regular basis, those same police officers and those same firefighters being required to pee in the little cups to test their urine for drugs. And yet somehow or other, they've convinced themselves that a vaccine intended to protect the public from a dangerous disease is the first step toward Nazism. That's their rhetoric. That's their language. And I look at this, Troy, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what is the real underlying motivation for their opposition to vaccines? I have a bunch of theories, but I'm curious what yours is. I, I know you can't believe that they actually have suddenly become crusaders for liberty since they were nowhere to be found in the fight against the war on drugs. So I'm just wondering what you think is the real motivation for this. So the right wing has been cultivating its messaging for decades. And they look for opportunities to spread their message, whatever the opportunity is. You know, Reagan, from Reagan, what was it? Government isn't the solution to the problem. Government is the problem, right? He didn't write that, <laughs> right? They have been cultivating that messaging for decades. Um, whether it be the right-wing radio hosts, the think tanks, the elected officials. So COVID is just another opportunity for them, because it's this fear. It's a, like in fear. When you combine your rhetoric and fear, like you got a real thing to fear out there. Now you COVID's the fear, and now I'm gonna top that fear with the fear that the government's gonna make you do something. Like, like this is goal for this is goal for them to spread their messaging. You know these anti-vaxxers weren't thinking shit about liberty, like. They fed those liberty talking points to some right-wing radio hosts who are in their messaging pipeline, and then your average Joe started he hearing that shit. Yeah! Yeah, my lit Yeah, this crazy firefighter Joe, all these idiots, the fraternal order police head, the fucking idiot. Um, you know, they catch on to this messaging. They've already been geared up to oppose the vaccine. Now they're being fed ammo messaging ammo for their opposition. Yeah, liberty. And then they'll come out with another talking point. And these idiots will use that one too. Um, all to further this anti-government, anti-democratic, anti-democracy. Um, you know, government is about, like, there's two, you know, 
not one say two, but there's roughly two ways of looking at Democrats and Republicans or conservatives and liberals, whatever you want to call them. Republicans have a very narrow sense of family. Family is a small group. Family is cut off from the rest of the world. And within that family, you there's socialism. We help everybody in this family, right? There's a kind of communal attitude in that family. But for Republicans, family is a very narrowly defined thing. Liberals or Democrats, family is broadly defined, like, like up to the point that we're all a family. We all need to be taking care of each other, you know. And so, government then becomes, for liberals, a way for us to come together to take care of each other, right? And for Republicans, it's a way, at least in their messaging, it's. Uh, a way to attack the values you've cultivated in your narrowly defined family. We take care of each other here, but we don't need anybody outside to take care of um, And so whenever they have an opportunity to spread that basic belief about what, and they don't phrase it that way, but that basic core values behind that belief that, that government can't be trusted that that's not, you don't want people thinking about government as a way for all of us to be family, for us to take care of each other as one large American family. Like that strikes at the heart of capitalism, right? Which is behind all of this stuff, right? What's behind all of this shit is greed, right? What's behind all of it? All this anti-government messaging is just a way to feed or to, to keep to create a culture where your greed wins out, where you're able to divide people against each other, manipulate them um, so that they don't see the value in coming together through their own government to take care of each other. And as a result, then they have to look at you, Mr. Insurance Company, oil company, you know, Mr. Bank, right? Not each other, we have to look at you, but you have to keep cultivating a distrust of government so that you can continue to profit. And that distrust is often I fed by or I look I look at it through this lens of sort of cultivating an atmosphere and environment, particularly in those who are calling themselves conservatives, that family is just you and your nuclear thing, and everybody else is all on your own. Right? It's every man for yourself after that. Now, you, you treat people inside your nuclear family like this. You take care of them. You commune with them. But outside of that, absolutely not. Um, and every time folks on the other side, you know, Democrats, liberals, socialists, um, want to promote a more uh, wide and inclusive version of what a family is, how we take care of each other, they have to come down and attack that with all their might. And this COVID messaging really is just a way to do that by attacking government, create more, creating more distrust of the institution that we're supposed to be using to take care of each other. Government. Am I making sense here, brother? You are. And I, I, 
yeah, it's so that's the, that's so that's at the heart of anti-vax. Like the anti-vax people don't know what they don't know all of that shit. They don't know they're being used. They don't know they're being manipulated. But the folks who are creating this messaging about liberty and all this bullshit, right? They know what they're doing. Right? They're turning people against the one institution that could reduce people's dependency upon big wealth, big corporations. They want to turn people against the one institution that's a threat to big, that could be a threat to big wealth and big corporations if that institution got in the hands of the people. Yeah. And, government. Uh, no, that what you're saying, uh, there's a lot of truth to it. And I'll just say this. Uh, you're correct. This messaging has been going on for a long time, your entire lifetime, uh, going back to the Reagan years. Uh, my fear right now, and uh, I hate to close this interview with a gloomy tone, but my fear right now is a gloomy one and that they've gone too far. Even like the other day when Donald Trump, I keep citing this on the show, Troy gave a speech in Alabama and he said, by the way, you should get the vaccine. You know, it's not a, it's a good thing. And people booed him and he backed off. Even Donald Trump is afraid of what he has helped create, if you follow what I'm saying. And so I, I just, I, I think that if, I wonder if Donald Trump and the leaders of MAGA started openly urging people to get the vaccine on a consistent, regular basis, would that change people's minds or is have it like we just moved off into this great unknown where that faction of, of America controls the Donald Trumps, if you follow what I'm saying. And it's even Donald Trump could have no control. I don't have an answer to that, Troy, but it kind of scares me. Do you follow what I'm saying? If even Donald Trump can't control. Well, I mean, Donald Trump, it depends on how they messaged it. Like it could work. It might not work. It's probably not going to happen. Yeah. They're probably too scared of what they created. Just like Trump backed off. But again, the bigger point though is, like the message was created for purpose to to create this distrusting government to divide us to make us easier to rule uh dividing divide us conquer has always been the greatest tool and covid has presented a golden opportunity for those on the right to divide conquer sow seeds of distrust between people and each other and people in their government uh and it is working all right. On that gloomy note, we have to close this interview. Uh, and Troy, thanks for uh, taking the time. I know you're really busy these days. you got a lot going on. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, we'll bring you back. I hope it's less uh, of an interval uh, before your next visit. All right? Anytime, brother. All right. That's great, Troy. Now I have to Rob. go to pick up my son. <laughs> yes. Thank you, city of Chicago. <laughs> uh, that's the great Troy LaRavier. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.